Spring is a good time of year, isn't it? Except for the thunderstorms and things like that, right? <laughs> Except for the weeds and the allergies. But other than that, I mean, there's beautiful blossoms coming out. There's more green, not in my yard, but in other people's yards. There's uh, just a, a new life and a sense of new beginnings and things like that. I, you know, there's a lot about spring that's challenging, but there's also a lot about it that's, that's very beautiful and encouraging. And as we turn back to the book of Ruth, we're looking at chapter 1, verses 14 through 22. And the whole book of Ruth really is kind of about new beginnings. And it's really strongly hinted at in our passage today, where we see a, a harvest is, a, is, is on the beginnings when they return back to the land of Bethlehem. When after hardships and challenges and a lot going on, there's reason for hope. Even in the midst of struggles, there is hope for a new beginning, for a new life. And we see that in our passage today. If, if you look for it, it's there. If you look for it, it's, it's all around you as well because the God who's at work in the pages of Scripture is the same God who's still at work in and around us and in your life. So would you read with me, please? Ruth chapter 1, verses 14 through 22. This is God's Word. They lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me worse if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem, and when they had come, Bethlehem. All the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is God's Word. Lord, would you bless not only the reading, but the hearing of your Word. Give us an abundance of your Spirit that we might understand it. More than that, that it might give us hope 
that it might transform us and change us, that it might be more than ink on paper, pixels on a screen, sound waves hitting our eardrums, but it might be the living, life-changing Word of God. Meet us here, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth get back to Judah, back to Bethlehem. As we read that very last phrase, it says, they came, the end of verse 22, to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Uh, Providentially, that's uh, actually around now. It hasn't changed. The, The barley harvest happens right around Passover in the Jewish calendar. And in fact, Passover marked the beginning of the new year. They were to reckon it as the first month, even as it was the exodus that brought it about, a new life. There's all kinds of things going on in the background if you dig into the Bible history here, where the barley harvest was the first harvest, happening in late April, early May, around the time that we are right now. And it was a sign, as as any harvest was, of new beginning. It was a spring and a new year all combined together, right? Could you imagine if we had New Year's Eve in spring with all the new life and everything? That would, that would be a better time, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be easier to go exercise and stuff? Maybe we should change the calendar. I don't know, because exercise is hard in the middle of winter. So they had it right on that. So it, it's, it's a new year. It's a new beginning. This is the barley harvest. It's the first harvest. <laughs> the wheat harvest would follow seven weeks or so later. The barley harvest was the beginning. And any time you read through the scriptures, very often you see with the harvest some rejoicing. God ordains some festivities, some festivals, some sacrifices. But in general, there's just this joy that now winter is over, the the deadness is passing, and there's new life. And after famine, seems like you would be a little more rejoicing that now there's a harvest. And things are so good at this point with the barley harvest. There's great hope for the next harvest that we'll be able to eat and stay alive after seasons and seasons of struggle and loss. All that happening, just you know, with that one little line, that they arrived in Bethlehem at the time of the barley harvest. There's hope, in other words, with that harvest. There's hope that they're now come back to Bethlehem. There's hope for Ruth and for Naomi and for their future. And in fact, there's there's hope to to understand what's happened in the past. Because even as there's all of that hope happening around them, reasons for uplifting thoughts and those kind of things, Ruth is still, or uh, Naomi is struggling in light of all that's happened. Throughout the, the beginning here of the book of Ruth, there's not only this tension of some maybe hope going to happen, but also just that, that the Lord is, is, is working and it's not all comfortable. That the Lord is doing things and they're not all pleasant or pleasing. You know, Naomi encourages her, her widowed daughters-in-law to, to leave her and to go back to their own people where they might find rest, where they might have hope of a husband. She's moving back to Judah because she's heard what? That the Lord has visited His people and given them food. 
She's got some hope of food, but yet not enough hope that the girls will have someone. So she says, go back home. And she says, may the Lord bless you to find a husband and a future. Verses 8 and 9 talk about that. Because Naomi's struggle is that the Lord's hand seems to be against her. She says in verse 13, just before our passage today, it's harder for me than for you, the end of verse 13, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. You know, just reading these first 22 verses of this book, there's an overwhelming sense that the Lord is at work, that there might be reason for hope, but there's also a lot of really hard stuff going on. And so you look at those things, and the biblical perspective on them is when the Lord is at work, you know, hope can lead you in all circumstances if you approach it that way. When the Lord is at work, you know, let, let hope lead you in the midst of the challenges and struggles, to carry on, to persevere, you need hope. And when the Lord is at work, which he always is, there's always going to be a place for hope. And so as we look at that, we're going to look at that under two main headings, looking back at the past, or looking toward the future and looking back at the past from our passage today. And And the first thing that, you know, if you understand the Lord is at work, and you can find hope to the to make some bold commitments, really. You can make bold commitments. That's the message, I think, of verses 14 through 18. After Naomi has now said in the verses before this, some form of of go or return or find rest. Now, six times she said that in in a command type of, of language. It's an imperative. She said multiple times, go, 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 return to the girls, uh, they again begin to weep and hug. That's where our passage starts off in verse 14. They lift up their voices, they weep. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, the sense of you know, final farewell. And don't be too hard on her. She's actually, in a way, honoring her mother-in-law, right? Now said six times, go, go, go. So don't, don't fault her for not going with her mother-in-law. She's obedient. Uh, but Ruth, it says in verse 14, clung to her. Ruth clings to Naomi. That, that word is about sticking together. It's about <clears throat> the, the physical things that might stick together and it's used sometimes of, of someone's tongue sticking to the roof of their mouth because they're parched, thirsty. It's also used of relationships. And, and the most common and, and most familiar use of this word is probably familiar to you as well because it's the basic principle for marriage. When God says in Genesis 2, 24, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. That, that joined, and in, uh, in the NASB it says be joined, and the ESV it says hold fast. You might know the old language of the King James Version, which says he shall cleave to his wife, which always sounded odd, doesn't it? You know? Cleaver cut stuff in half. But the word meant stick together. I'm glad that's an update. Less confusing. But to hold fast, to stick together. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and stick to, cling to his wife. That's the language here of, of Ruth clinging to her mother-in-law. But it's not just for marriage. 
In fact, throughout the book of Deuteronomy and in Joshua in particular, in those two books, it's used repeatedly to describe and call the people of God to a, a relationship with the Lord who's saving them. That they would cling to him, stick with the Lord, grab tightly to him, fear him, honor him, serve him, love him, all of those things together. That's the sense of this word, that, that Ruth is, is just clinging, perhaps physically, hugging and not letting go. But more than that, you see this intention, this, this, this commitment to stick with someone. And really, that's what the, the word is all about, is sticking with. Naomi, on the other hand, is what? Looking at uh, what Ruth stands to gain if she heads back home. You know, Ruth, don't go with me. You, 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 you have a chance of finding a husband. You have a chance of being safe and provided for in, in your parents' household again. You know, go, return to them. You know, that's, that seems to be Naomi's perspective. But Ruth points out the other side of that equation. That, that going back to all that means leaving Naomi. It means forsaking her mother-in-law. As one commentator put it, for Ruth to return back to her homeland meant not movement towards something, but away from Naomi. Don't urge me to leave you, she says. You know, the, the word for leaving there is the opposite of sticking to and clinging to. It, it's often translated forsake. It's also in that marriage verse. For this reason a man shall leave, that's the word, his father and mother, and cling to his wife. You know, there's a reality in us human beings that we have a limited capacity for relationships and for commitment. And for us to focus that commitment, especially in a marriage relationship, requires exclusivity. The world is lying to you when they say you can have multiple relationships at once. You can't. It's like, uh, you know, the, the lie that you're actually, you know, multitasking when you just really do this thing for a while and then this thing for a while. And you check your email, but you're also doing this. You're losing so much time between those things. It takes you a while to switch back. And in fact, it's even worse in a marriage relationship. You can't do it. Anything else you turn to is turning away from that primary commitment. And, and now you think about all that. Okay, you kind of understand that in, in the perspective. Supposed to be committed focused on this one, um, and that we have this limited ability, right? And, and you, can, you can picture that in a marriage, and it's very easy, but now, now think about Ruth. She's, she's using this kind of language and offering a, this kind of commitment to her mother-in-law. And she says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to stick with you. But it's not only sticking with, it's, it's actually joining in with her mother-in-law. In verse 16, she says, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Ruth is sold out to join 
in with Naomi to join her people, her God, even her future. <laughs> How does she put it? In verse 17, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. You know, she's saying, look, even beyond the grave, you know, I'm, 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 I'm leaving all of this behind, and I'm going to be with you, Naomi. That's Ruth's commitment. It's such a great definition of love. It is so powerful and so all-encompassing to say, you know, I'm not just going to stick with you. I'm going to join in life with you. It's not as common as it should be in our marriages, right? It's not as common as it should be in our devotion to uh, our God. But you know, here, here is Ruth with this kind of commitment for her mother-in-law. And you, again, you kind of understand this level of commitment in a marriage, right? Next weekend, Lord willing, uh, we're going to have a, a wedding of a couple of young people in our church. And Pastor Dave and I are going to be up there and we're going to do different parts of the service. And at one point, you know, I'm going to say, you forsake all others for this one. And they're both going to say that they're going to exchange vows and, and commitments of intent, declarations of intent and all that kind of stuff, right? And you see two people making these similar commitments of saying, I'm going to just open my life to you. And there's beauty in that that we understand in marriage. But you can't, can't escape the fact that there's, there's two people entering into this beautiful commitment. But you don't see that in this passage with Naomi, right? This is one-sided. Ruth says, essentially, I'm going to give up everything for you. I am going to be with you. I, I want nothing more than to just be with you. I'm satisfied with that. I'm content there's no hint of any mutual benefit. And, and Naomi has done her best to try to convince Ruth that don't go with me. I don't have anything to offer you. I can't help you. I can't provide a husband for you. It would be better for you to go. And Ruth says no. She makes a bold, bold commitment. If you look at the languages she's using here at the end of verse 17, thus may the Lord, that's Yahweh, the covenant name of our God, thus may the Lord do to me and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. That's a, that's a vow, that's an oath saying, you know, I, I'm calling on the God of heaven and earth as a witness that I'm going to follow through on this. And, and there's an implication that too, that that's her confidence. Right, that she's putting her lot in with the Lord, with the true and living God, that she's experienced enough of him to say, I'm going to trust him. I have hope for the future. You know, maybe it's because there was now food over in the, in the promised land. Maybe it's the stories that Naomi talked about of God's faithfulness. Uh, whatever it is, there, there's, there's got to be some form of heart work in her that God has accomplished as well for her to have this level of love and commitment and a willingness to sacrifice, to be this bold. Ruth is dwelling in a place of hope as she looks to an uncertain future, and she's willing to make bold commitments to, to stick with and join in Naomi's life, trusting the future to this God the true and living God.
And the thing is that, that that's, that's what hope will do for us, right? And if we understand the Scripture story, we can, we can draw hope for the future because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God that she experienced, the, the rest of the story, Lord willing, that we'll work through over the next few weeks, you know, shows who this God is. And if you begin to understand that, if you grow in that, if you more and more begin to lean into what it means to trust this God, to find hope in Him more than any pursuit of, of a spouse, more than any pursuit of finances, more than anything else, to lean into Him, you find not only that you have this hope for the future, <coughs> but that you can now understand and have a new perspective on your own past. And this might be one of the most powerful things in understanding our God is to understand that he not only helps us make bold commitments, but a hope in him allows us to grieve significant That we can grieve significant losses. That's the message of verses 19 through 22. You know, arriving back home, verse 19, <coughs> Naomi's presence causes a big stir. Verse 19, they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? The trip to Bethlehem was probably at least 50 miles or so, depending on the route that they took. And, and he doesn't, the, the author of the book doesn't describe what happened along the way. The focus falls on, this, on their arrival. All of a sudden, they're there. Boom, and there's this buzz. And this question, as the city is stirring, is this Naomi? It's been a decade or more since she was last there. And she's had a, a hard road, not only dealing with famine initially and then heading to another country and, and raising some up, but also losing her husband and gaining sisters, uh, daughters-in-law, but then losing her sons, and now after another journey, you know, she's been through a lot. And Naomi's not who she was. They see it, the, the people asking the question say, and she feels it. Because the truth is that time changes you. Anybody over the age of 18 not feel that, you know? Time changes you. Does it not change you? Are there not things on your body that just don't do what they used to do? You know? Maybe things are like drooping and sagging and wrinkling. You know, I like spring, and one of the things I don't like about it is mulch and, you know, carrying 25 bags of mulch, and now I'm all achy and sore today. I carried them like 10 feet, one at a time, and I'm sore. That didn't used to happen. I told you I went to a funeral last weekend, and, and I saw lots of my old friends, some of whom I haven't seen for like 25 years. I haven't changed, but man, they changed. <laughs> I was like, who are all these grown-ups? Is that Sally? You know, is that Jimmy? Names changed to protect the innocent there, by the way. We've gotten old. Time changes you. Naomi's experienced that, right? The people have experienced it seeing Naomi. And they're going, is this, is this Naomi? And Naomi says, 
No, <laughs> I'm, I'm not. Verse 20. Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Naomi doesn't feel like Naomi. She feels like Mara. Time changes you. There's a, there's a layer of meaning here with the Hebrew where her name means something like pleasant or delightful or lovely. You know, King, King David was the sweet psalmist of Israel. That's the same word, sweet, pleasant, lovely. You know, that's not how Naomi feels. She feels bitter. Uh, a strong flavor, a sour flavor, uh, a hard circumstance, you know, something like horseradish flavor or a, a poisonous bitter grapes or something like that. Why, 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 why is your name no longer Naomi? Why are you no longer Naomi? Why, why are you now Mara? She says, because I've gotten a hard deal from the Almighty. Yeah, the, the language there, the Almighty, is uh, Shaddai. It's a name for God. Uh, she's talking about the true God because in, in the next verse she mentions the Almighty and Yahweh in the same verse, talking about the same God, obviously. But here she says the Almighty. And usually, and it's, 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 the, the sense is, is, is not completely clear, but it seems like when, when the Almighty, that name is used, it has to do especially with God's power. You know, he, he is the Almighty, the All-Powerful, the Omnipotent One, right? That's the sense here where He's the one who's in control, doing as He pleases, and no one can stop Him. It emphasizes that power. And so if you think about Naomi or Mara, she's in the midst of frustration and sorrow. But she still sees God as the one who is at work. That's good, right? But what she sees of the God is someone who is kind of powerful and punishing. Verse 21. She says, I went out full but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? You know, she's got this perspective which is very common in the midst of struggles and challenges that become overwhelming. We short circuit, right? And we begin to think that God is somehow out to get me. And that the things that are happening in my life are because God has it in for me. And as everyone looks at me, they have every right to believe that I must not be worth it. That God must be judging me. That God must find me lacking. Otherwise, why would I go out full and now come back empty? Why would He testify against me by taking my husband and my sons from me? He must be against me. And that's, a, that's speaking from a place of, of understanding of who God is in one area only. It's, it's, it's an idea that, yes, God is powerful, but it's missing key facets of who this God is. And sadly, it's the facets that give hope. And it's only, you can only, as a, as a believer, you can only have this view of the true and living God if, if you're narrowing your focus too much. 
with respect to God and with respect to your circumstances. If you go a little broader, it, it, it's, you can't keep up this perspective that, that God is, is just a punisher, that God is, is against you. Because God says throughout scriptures that he's for you, that he is with you, that he will stick with you. And all he requires you is a faith and trust in him, to believe in him. No other works. He knows that you have done wrong, and yet he still promises. God's promises are more one-sided than Ruth's towards Naomi. Because you are way worse off than any widow. You have absolutely nothing to offer to God except your sin and your brokenness. And he knows that, and he says, I will be with you. Trust me. And if you will believe that, you know, just take a little tiny, you know, widen the angle a little bit on your camera to see a little bit more. And I mean, Ruth, it's so obvious in this situation. Sometimes it's harder to see. But in this situation, I mean, Naomi, right, I went out full. In coaching, they taught us an expression when someone kind of uh, really stuck in a... Uh, uh, I can't remember what it's called. There's a name for it, like negativity, um, de- defeatist kind of, you know. Uh, you know, I went out full. You know, what else is true? Okay, yeah, maybe with respect to the fact that you had a husband and two children when you left, but your belly was empty. You went out in a famine. You went out without your home, without all of those connections. You, you were full if you narrow the perspective down. If you say what's only important is a husband and two children. And they're important. Don't hear me saying those aren't important, right? But to broaden the perspective, say, you know, what else is true? I went out full, and yet, yeah, I was also kind of empty. We literally left because our stomachs were empty because the fields around us were empty, because there was no food. And she says, what? But the Lord has brought me back empty. Has he? What else is true? Do you imagine being Ruth in this moment? You came back empty, Naomi? Ruth, Ruth's like, What? She just made the most eloquent commitment ever. We used it in our wedding as part of our, our, our vows and, and, and all in our wedding because it's so beautiful. It's such a great commitment to someone. And, and Naomi's like, I got nothing. I've got nothing. It's a lie. And it's undone as you just broaden the angle. You know, it's what else is true? Yeah, that's true. You know, you came back without your husband and your children, and that stinks. It's true. That is something to grieve. And, you know, what else is true? What else is going on? God, God has brought you back to a place in the middle of the barley harvest. There's food in abundance back home. There's people who know your name and recognize you even years later. And you've got Ruth right by your side who says she's going to be with you. 
She's going to stick with you and join in with you. You know, time, time changes you. And time also heals you. So just like we shouldn't be too hard on, the, on this daughter-in-law who stayed behind, we shouldn't be too hard on Naomi for being honest about where she feels like she's at. Because it takes time. These are significant losses. And what God does for our healing is not to say that doesn't matter. Don't hear me saying that. There is no loss you have experienced that does not matter. Every loss matters. Big, small, that doesn't matter. Losses matter. They hurt. They are to be grieved. And y'all, I don't even know your stories, but you have had so many losses in years. And that's something to grieve. Not to say, oh, no. you win some, you lose some. Yeah. And not to deny it and bury it. Not to medicate it. But to grieve it. It's hard. I, ca- I cannot imagine losing a child. The dreams and hopes that are gone. I've walked through people losing spouses so, so many times. I can imagine that in many ways, and it's hard. And these are the things that change you. These are parts of time passing in a fallen world, in a broken world. And if we want to be honest and 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 live in this world, then then we need to grieve. And the place to go in the midst of our grief grief is to recognize that God is still at work and that there is still reason to hope. Even here in our passage, verse 22, Naomi returned, and with her Ruth, the Moabitess, the first time she's called that, by the way, her daughter-in-law returned from the land of Moab. You know, Naomi's not healed yet, but in that language in the midst of the barley harvest, there's this hope, if you're reading this book for the first time, that, that maybe things are going to be different. There's something strange going on here in this passage. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe she's going to find healing. Maybe she's going to learn how to, to embrace the new reality that she's experiencing, to, to recognize that things were never as good as you think they were, and things are now not as bad as you think they are either. To grieve those real losses and look at what else is going on that might bring hope. Because time does change you. You're never going to be the same person again. You know, we need to give up going back to whoever that was. You know, we just think about it as a kid, right? What did you want to be when you grew up? Are you that today? I mean, 
you're probably okay with that most likely. You want to be a fireman or want to, you know, want to be a police officer, want to be an architect or, you know, a nurse or a doctor. And then you're like, wait a minute, that's a lot of school and debt and all those kind of things, right? And you're like, well, that's not even what I'm good at, you know? Maybe I just want to be a car mechanic, whatever. Like, you're not who you were. That's what happens as time passes. And things will never be the same again. And because the Lord is working, you can have hope that things can still be really, really, really good. That you can heal and you can move on. And in fact, sometimes God uses that emptiness, that feeling of just I've got nothing, to bring greater fullness. There's nothing easier to fill than empty hands, is there? And if you've already got everything you need, there's no room for God to do anything. And sometimes God just, just lets you experience that emptiness to say, He's going to fill you up. I can't guarantee what that will look like, but I do know He is going to fill you up. I do know that He will be faithful to His promises. I do know that you can make bold commitments for the future. I do know that you can grieve losses with hope because I do know that God is at work and in fact we got the rest of the story right we see where God is going with this hardship that Naomi's experienced all the frustrations and struggles and challenges she's dealt with she begins to have some hope and it plays out in her encouraging Ruth in the things that she should do, and they wind up with a wonderful relationship, and that from that relationship, there's a child, and a child, and another child, grandchild, great-grandchild, who becomes the king of Israel, David himself. And from him comes Solomon. And from him, the line continues, and we get the greater king than even David himself, Jesus, at work in these circumstances. And he comes with this commitment, this bold commitment. Do you realize that? That Jesus has made a bold commitment to your future. That he says, I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to join in with you. And you're going to be different. You're going to change. And as he's with you over time, you do change. And some of that is saying goodbye to some things. And you wind up losing some friends or whatever it is. You know, you, you give up some relationships some things. And some of that's good, some of it's bad. But He's committed to you. And He says, you know what? Trust me. And in essence, that's what this passage is about. To say, you know what? If I will believe that God is at work, I can persevere. I can carry on. Through whatever the challenges are. That doesn't mean it's going to immediately better doesn't mean I'm immediately going to be healed. It doesn't mean everything's going to be sunshine and rainbows and unicorns and all of that. But it does mean there's hope. That I can make what feels like a bold commitment. And sometimes, you know what? You could be in a place where a bold commitment is just, I'm going to get out of bed. Right? I'm going to go to work. I'm going to change the diaper or whatever it is. Right? And very often God works through that. Perseverance builds character, and character builds hope. And hope builds perseverance, 
and character, and there's this positive cycle. Brothers and sisters, the, the Lord is at work. And let hope lead you and empower you in all circumstances. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your great commitment to us that you have made us your bride. That you have made great and precious promises to us. And we have nothing. We have the empty hands of a beggar. And you fill them up. If we would just trust you. If we would just believe you. If we would just hold out our hands. Lord, we know that doesn't mean you're going to pour money into it. It doesn't mean you're going to pour prestige and honor or, or even a spouse or anything else into it. But you're going to pour into it. You're going to fill us. And one day you're going to return and you're going to wipe every tear from our eyes. You're going to fill us with an abundant joy. And even now, we can have a foretaste of that. If we will trust you, we can find hope. I pray you would give us that, Lord, today and every day. In your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.